Now, this will be confusing if you're visiting, but we are presently going through the gospel according to Mark. And I told the folks when we began our study of the gospel according to Mark, that when we got chronologically to the place where Jesus taught the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, then we would drop back to Matthew. We would spend the months in uh, Matthew's gospel account looking at the Sermon on the Mount. When we're finished with the Sermon on the Mount, then we will go back to Mark and finish up our study in the Gospel of Mark. So our text today, our last two Beatitudes, in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll note that the blessing for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, their blessing is the same blessing as the blessing of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we pray As we always pray that you would teach us, we pray, Lord, we have your word. I I hope that every person here has a Bible on their lap, Lord, and, and that they're able to look down at the words rather than just taking my word for it, and that, Lord, you would speak to us by your spirit through your word. We pray, Father, that we would, as modern day Christians, that we would not look at the scripture and say, well, this isn't for me, this doesn't apply to me. This isn't uh, something that I should necessarily, you know, consider applicable to my life. But rather that we would see all Scripture as beneficial, all Scripture as needed, all Scripture for training, and uh, all of these things that you have written, you have preserved. We know that they're for our good, Lord. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking, that's a good thing to do from now, time to time, but I was thinking of how, you know, there's so much confusion in the church. There are so many different views. And I think for, you know, just kind of the average person who hasn't spent a lot of time, you know, in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, training themselves in the Scripture, they could be really, really confused. I was thinking, you know, you might go to a church and you say, well, uh, this church is different from that other church I was going to. That other church, they're, they're always talking about Bible prophecy. And, and this church, they don't ever talk about Bible prophecy. This church, they seem to be talking about the here and now. That's what I like. The here and now. I don't want to hear what what's going to happen in the future. I, I just want to know what's, how I'm supposed to apply God's word to my life, the here and now. And maybe in an environment like that, you hear a lot of declarations, you know, and stand up and repeat after me and let's declare this thing, you know. And you say, boy, this church is so different from that other church that I was going to. You might listen to Christian radio, you know, and you tune in. I used to listen to him decades ago. 
uh, I say him, uh, it's run by someone else now. I still used to listen to that fellow. I'm speaking of the Bible Answer Man. I used to listen to the Bible Answer Man when it was um, the original. Who Help me out here. Walter Martin, yes. I'm old. I'm having a hard time. And then, of course, um, gosh, I'm, I'm really drawing a blank. Um, the new guy, Hank, Hank Hanegraaff, yes. Hank Hanegraaff um, took it over. And if you listen to the Bible answer, man, you call in with your questions, and you ask questions about Bible prophecy. And all of a sudden, Hank says on the other line of the end of the phone, you know, well, that doesn't apply any longer. Where where do they get that? Where do they see those types of things in Scripture? Those things that don't apply. God only has one chosen people, not two chosen people. God always deals with one chosen people at a time. It was Israel in the Old Testament. It is a church today. God has no concern for the nation of Israel today. And you wonder, what's the confusion? Well, going back to my first illustration... There are churches that have bought into a kingdom now theology. They're not concerned about Bible prophecy. They don't care about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or a year from now or more. They're living for today. They believe from the scriptures, though it's hard really to understand where they draw their conclusions. They believe that the church in its perfection, will bring in the kingdom age. The only problem, things are not getting better. Things are diminishing. What do they do with that? Hank Hanegraaff. How could he say such things about Israel, not even recognizing Israel? Well, he's a preterist. He believes that all of these things are historical. When you read the book of Revelation, it's not Bible prophecy, even though the book says those who keep the prophecies of this epistle, of this letter, or this book, you know, will be blessed. He says, no, all of these things have already been fulfilled. The only thing that hasn't been fulfilled is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And and that, that will be Bible prophecy fulfilled. My point is, is that you have different schools of thought. They come to the scriptures. They're trying to, you know, make sense out of it. And in the process, it makes a lot of people confused. So you need to know the scriptures. You need to be so familiar with the scriptures that in one sense, you're self-feeding. You know, you're dependent upon the spirit of God to teach you. But you are familiar with the portion of scripture. I don't know what the preterist does. I don't know uh, what those who, you know, deny the existence or the importance of Israel does with the rebirth of Israel. I don't know what they do with all of the things that are happening, that are pointed, that are concerning Israel today. I don't understand what they do with the book of Daniel. I don't understand what they do with the book of Revelation. I don't understand how they come to their conclusions. I don't understand. You say, well, I thought we were looking at Blessed are those who are persecuted. We are. You know, there are different ways of interpreting. I'm sure. I was thinking of this this morning. First song, the first line of the song. I don't remember it verbatim, but it was saying you sinners. And I thought, I could picture someone protesting. I'm not a sinner. The next line, I'm not weak. Good for you. 
See, you could look at the Beatitudes even. And you could say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you could say, well, 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 that's when you finally come to the end of yourself and you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, that's when coming to the end of yourself and recognizing your poverty of spirit, you, well, you, um, you mourn over that condition. But that's something that it's not applicable today to you, Christian, who's been walking with the Lord for five years or ten years or decades. Uh, it, it doesn't apply to you. Oh, okay. What about meekness? Is that something that's supposed to be experienced at one time? Or is that an attribute, an attitude that believers are supposed to have throughout their life? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? What about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that a beatitude just for those who first come to Christ? And, but after that, you know, you don't really need to hunger or thirst for righteousness. You would think that was the case when you look at a lot of churches and the Christians, they're... Non, uh, <laughs> or lazy approach to the Lord. What about merciful? Blessed are the merciful. Is that something that is just one? To, I was merciful when I first got saved. The first week I got saved, I was the most merciful guy around. But after that, you know, I'm not really concerned about mercy any longer. It doesn't make sense. Or the pure in heart, or the peacemaker. My point is, is this: we could read. These last two beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could read that and say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm an American. I live in the land of the free. I'm not persecuted for righteousness' sake. It applied to them. It applied to the first century Christians or, you know, the early years of the church. It applied to them. It doesn't apply to us. Listen, I'm telling you, if you approach Scripture that way, you are cheating yourself first and foremost. If you dissect Scripture, now obviously there are Scriptures that are written specifically to a group of people. And I think there's a danger in applying that to yourself when it doesn't apply there. But... There are principles and truths throughout the scripture that are eternal. Do you know that the word of God will never perish? Everything else is going to perish. Everything else is going to fade away. Even these bodies that we're in will get new bodies. They're not going to last forever. But the word of God endures forever. And so blessed are those who are persecuted. It wasn't just for the first century believers. It's for every age of believers How do you know that, Dan? Because Christians are being persecuted today more than any other time in church history. Do you know that? You know, we support ministries as a church. The... um, those who are martyred, you know, Christian martyrs and, and, and things like that. And we try to keep up on it. I don't keep up on it as as much as uh, Nate does. But we're, we're trying to get you folks, us folks, to understand that, you know, there are some real hard things that our brothers and sisters are going through in other parts of the world. Very difficult things. And surely when they read this portion of scripture, when they read this these beatitudes, for them, it's not a theory, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's something that they're dealing with on a regular basis. Blessed are you. Blessed are 
those, excuse me, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The word persecuted, it means to pursue, to give over to suffering. Jesus says, blessed or happy, remember the word blessed means happy, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Happy are you when you're hated and hunted. Happy are you when you're given over to unjust suffering. And we can look at this because for many of us, it is theory. My life has never been threatened. My life has been threatened, but never for being a follower of Christ. I've been, you know, I've gone through some difficult times verbally for righteousness sake or for the cause of Christ. But my life has never been threatened. And yet I know that I have brothers and sisters in the world presently, their lives are threatened. Daily their lives are threatened. It may not feel like you're being blessed when you're being persecuted. But Jesus says you are blessed when you are persecuted. This is another thing that's difficult for us because we have been trained. You know, I don't know if it's our culture or what it is, but our feelings almost dictates the reality of something. You know, oh, I just, I felt the Lord in that place. Really? What did it feel like? Well, I don't know. It was kind of, you know, we describe things. But the fact of the matter is, if God's people are together, God was in that place. Do you know what I'm saying? Rather than make it something other than it is, we say the word of God says, so therefore this is true. This is a true statement. Persecuted for righteousness sake. I think of those that we read about in the book of Hebrews. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11, you know, the hall of faith, the chapter of the faithful ones. It goes on and it describes what many of them endured. Others were tortured. The word tortured, it literally means to stretch as an instrument of torture resembling a drum and thus beaten to death. You know, you'd take the leather and you'd stretch it over the, you know, the wooden part of the drum. And this was apparently a means of torturing people. It says others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings or cruel mockings, some of your Bibles might read, and scourgings, mockings and scourgings, scourgings being beaten. It goes on, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Do you know that It's believed that Isaiah the prophet was sawn in two. That's how they killed Isaiah. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then the writer of Hebrew goes, goes on to say, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy of people like this. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. That's what I think of when I think of blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because, of course, the writer of Hebrews, he wasn't just writing of Christians. Of course, this was when the church was first being birthed, and he was writing 
about Old Testament saints and what they had endured, the difficulties they had gone through. Verse 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile you. The word revile means to slander or to insult or to vilify or to taunt. Again, do you feel blessed when that's happening? It's a strange thing, you know, when you have people that will taunt you or make fun of you. Sometimes, for a Christian, that happens from their own family members more than from anyone else when they come to faith in Christ. Some family members, they just can't handle it. They, they think, oh, what a waste of life. And so they want to embarrass you out of following Jesus. I don't know that that works too well, but some try it. Jesus spoke these words. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6, and verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you. And revile you, there it is again, and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. By the way, note the condition of the Beatitudes. It's for righteousness' sake, it's for my sake, and also the beginning of verse 11, it's against you falsely. So if someone's saying something about you, but it's a true statement, then there's no blessing in that. You're not being persecuted because uh, someone is slandering you. You're, you're just being called out, you know. Jesus went on. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. You and I must be students of the word of God. Guys, as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God, as you just make it a habit, it doesn't matter where you are, the Word of God is constantly confirming the Word of God. You know, the critic would say, yes, because it was written by the same person. They're true in one sense. It was inspired by the same person, that person being the Holy Spirit. But it surely was not written by one person. There is a common thread, there is a common theme that goes through Uh, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The critics of it, they like to pick out different things, but they haven't really looked at it. They haven't really studied it. They don't really see the the pattern of of God's, uh, you know, theme throughout. But as you look at the scriptures, you know, as I'm reading through Jeremiah or Isaiah or, you know, whatever prophet it might be, um, we, we see how the children of Israel treated the prophets of God that were sent to them. You know, if indeed they ended up sawing Isaiah in two because they didn't like his message. Jeremiah, we know that he was referred to or is referred to as a weeping prophet. He is given a mission. He, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the mission in the very first chapter of the book that bears his name. He says, I'm young, I'm a youth, I can't speak, you know, pick somebody else, I don't want to do this. And the Lord said, no, you're the man. And as you read on in Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I have a message for you, and uh, I want you to know that they're not going to listen to you. But I'll protect you, I'll watch out for you. And as you go on, you see Jeremiah in just, you know, really difficult situations thrown into a a cistern sinking up in the mud, you know, and 
thinking that he's left there to die. He weeps over the judgment that's coming, and the people of Israel, of Judah, are indifferent. I don't care. We don't care what you have to say. When you get into the New Testament, Jesus is referring to the fathers of the people that were persecuting him. He says, you're just like your fathers. The Lord is near on their lips, you know, close to their lips. They like to speak about the Lord, but far from your hearts. You're just like your fathers. Jesus says things like, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? They killed them all. That's an easier answer than saying, which of the prophets did your fathers kill? Well, they killed them all. And you see this theme throughout the scriptures. Persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But then Jesus goes a step further and he says, Blessed are you. Now, now he's not, it's not they, you know, it's not theory. Yes, we know we live in a fallen world and there will be some who will suffer and be martyred for their faith and tortured and stuff like that. Yes, we know, but I'm so glad that I live in the land of the free. And um, these things would never come to me because I would just go to my councilman. How's that working? I'd protest. I'd take it to the Supreme Court. How's that working? I mean, look at the world in which we live in today, folks. But he says, you. I mean, he's speaking, I believe, first and foremost to his disciples. Blessed are you. When? Not if, but when. They revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. One year after the crucifixion of Jesus, Stephen was stoned to death. We see that in the book of Acts. Approximately 2,000 Christians suffered martyrdom in Jerusalem during that same period of time. We don't see that in the book of Acts. About 10 years later, James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword by Herod. We see that in the book of Acts. Around 54 AD, Philip was scourged, thrown in prison, and afterwards crucified. About six years later, Matthew, the author of this gospel account that we're reading, Matthew was preaching in Ethiopia when he suffered martyrdom by sword. James, the brother of Jesus at the age of 94, was beaten, stoned, and finally had his brains bashed out with the fuller's club. Matthias, remember Matthias? He was a replacement of Judas. He was stoned in Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Mark was torn in pieces by the people of Alexandria in front of one of their idols. Peter was condemned to death to be crucified. 
Jerome tells us that Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he said he was not worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord was. Jude, the brother of James, who is commonly called Thaddeus, was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified. Thomas was killed with a spear. Luke was hung on an olive tree by adulterous priest in Greece. Barnabas was killed, but we don't know how, around 73 AD. John, the brother of James, was thrown into a cauldron, a hot cauldron of boiling oil, and he escaped by miracle and was later banished to the island of Patmos where he received and wrote the book of Revelation. And Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. This was their reality. Our reality looks different, doesn't it? Uh, Brittany, our oldest daughter, she sent a little family thing, a little video. Um, I recognize the woman on the video. She has like a podcast. And uh, it was a satire. I mean, she had to put at the beginning of it, you know, disclaimer that it was a satire, which I don't know why she would have to do that because it was obviously a satire. It, to be honest, it wasn't like it was really well done or anything. But I was so moved when I was watching this little video. The same woman played both parts. She played a modern-day Christian, and then she played a Christian from the first century of the church. Uh, When she played the part of the first century Christian, she, of course, dressed like she would if she lived at that time. Her face was dirty. Um, She would say things like, um, you know, how difficult it's been and, and how uh, they've been on the run or how they've been hungry or uh, how the Lord has, uh, they found some abandoned children by the river and we are grateful that, uh, you know, the Lord saved their lives and just talking like that, you know, things that we might expect to hear from a first century Christian. And then when she was playing the part as a modern Christian, modern-day Christian. She uh, she was very, uh, you know, kind of disconnected. At one point, when the first-century Christian was talking about the hardships that she was going through, the first-century or the modern-day Christian. Sounds confusing, doesn't it? Might have to watch the video. But the modern-day Christian says, oh, stop talking like that. You need to declare Victories that we have in Christ. Repeat after me. She says, I get this from Joel Olstein. Repeat after me. You know. And so the first century Christian, she's kind of looking, she's puzzled, you know, by this declaration because it does not make sense to the reality that she would have experienced as a first century Christian. Being hunted, being given over to unjust suffering. Um, At one point in the video, 
the modern-day Christian says, uh, you know, well, we have the Bible. You probably don't know this, but we have the entire Bible. We have the Bible, all of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first century Christian says, I didn't know that there was a New Testament because, of course, she's living it. And so the first century Christian says to the modern-day Christian, you have the Word of God. You must spend all of your time reading the word of God. I cannot believe. We don't have, the, the scripture we have are, are the, the law and the prophets, you know. And, and you have the writings of, of the apostle Paul and James and John and, you know, of Jesus in print, you know. How blessed you are. You must spend all of your time reading the scriptures. And the modern day Christian about this point in the video, she has a glass of wine in her hand. She pulls the cork out with their uh, out of the bottle with their mouth and she says oh yes you know when I have time I read she says I'm very busy you know I've been binge watching this and I've been doing this and doing that and of course I've got all of these other activities with the kids but I'll tell you I really enjoy wine down Wednesday as she pours herself a glass of wine and as I'm watching this silly kind of rendering of first century and modern day Christian I just began to cry because I thought you know we don't get it because we have because we haven't lived in difficult, I mean, our lives are not threatened. We're starting to see difficulties now. I mean, we have people that are truly being touched. The reality is, I have convictions. Because of my convictions, I don't want to do this thing. If I don't do this thing, I lose my job, I lose my career. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's not, it's not for Christ's sake there. It's for righteousness' sake. I have my conviction, so therefore, this is the stand I'm taking. We're starting to see a little bit of it. A number of months ago, a brother in the church bought a case of books. He wanted to give them to you folks, and... Tortured for Christ. About the same time, I was reading some other things that Nate was giving to me about the persecuted church in other regions of the world. It's difficult reading. Do any of you own Fox's Book of Martyrs? If you own it, it's probably one of those books in your library that has a lot of dust on it because, to be honest, it's not a book that you would find pleasurable. It's not a book that you would pull off the shelf, a big, thick book, and, and want to read about church persecution. And it begins, of course, with the apostles, but then it goes on to the reformers and all of these different things, the things that used to be done to, like, the reformers how they would strip them, they would take their pants off, their buttocks was exposed to all that were gathered, and they would spank them and whip them in the public square to humiliate them. During some of these persecutions, you know, 
under Russian occupation, Christians being persecuted, they would have men and women come into a room, they would have some of the men and women lie down on the ground, and they would have their brothers and sisters in Christ defecate on their faces. You say, why would you do that? It's so horrible. I mean, think of the psychological, you know. I mean, now it's not just, it's not you doing it to me. It's my brother doing it to me. It's my brother in Christ doing it to me. It's my sister in Christ doing it to me. It's so hideous. You say, Dan, I didn't come to hear about stuff like that. I know we don't like hearing about stuff like that. It's gross. It's disturbing. It takes away our sleep at night if, if, we're, if we're not standing in faith, if we're not believing what the scriptures teach. Paul wrote to Timothy, young Timothy. You know, Timothy became like a son to Paul. And he wrote to Timothy, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You'll note two words, all and will. And that's unsettling because we think, Marielle came in, my other daughter, right before the service. And she says, you know, Dad, you look at church history, modern, you know, after the first three centuries of the church, you know, And there were many Christians who lived and many suffered persecution, but many did not suffer persecution. I said, yeah, that's true. She says, so what do you think when it says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? I think that the persecution varies. Maybe it doesn't look the same way under communism or Nazism or some other ism, but it could be just as horrific. I think of uh, one of the elders at the church we attended when we were in California. He was teaching on a Wednesday night, and I don't even remember what portion of scripture he was talking or teaching from, but he began to tell a story, a personal story. And he says, before I was a Christian, I used to intimidate my wife, and I would belittle her. She would come down to this church, and I hated the fact that she came to this church. And when she would come home, I'd make fun of her, and I'd threaten her. And then he started to just sob. And he picked up a ballpoint pen. Remember when ballpoint pens were kind of the thing? Every kid had a ballpoint pen. They were fun to play with, you know. And he said, I would take a ballpoint pen, and I would tear the pages of my wife's Bible. I hated Jesus so much, and I was hating my wife because she became a follower of his. You say, wow, that's extreme. You know, that, that may be or may not be. David wrote, in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, there's this, there's this modern day version of Christianity that's not biblical, and I hate it. The reason I hate it is because it, it sets people up for a fall. 
I mean, it sounds so contrary. If, if you listen to Christian television, it sounds so contrary. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I could hear modern-day Christians protesting, no, not true! Or like the lady said to Nate when he guest spoke, these are words of death. No, they're words of truth. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. You'll know when I went through the list of the apostles and those men that we read about in the um, book of Acts, I left out Paul. So let me, let me go back to Paul for a moment. Paul wrote this about some of his experiences. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 on down. He says, in stripes above measure. Do you know what that means? It wasn't like he was in jail. You know, we watch those movies and they wear, you know, the, the jail stripes. No, he's talking about the stripes on his body, being whipped, being beaten. He says, I, I can't even tell you how many times. In prison, more frequently, in death, uh, deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember, we see that in the book of Acts, don't we? He was stoned. They dragged his body out of the city. They thought he was dead. His own friends thought he was dead. And, and many Bible teachers believe that maybe this is when Paul was caught up to heaven. And he saw those things that he could not talk about. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9-13. through 13. Paul wrote, for I think that God, and you'll note, it's not the devil. He says, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles. Now he's singling the apostles out. He's not speaking of all Christians. He says the apostles. Who were the apostles? They were the ones with their mouths going. That's where persecution is going to begin, with the ones with the mouth going. The, the street preacher the pastor who's standing on the word of God, the missionary who's out, you know, preaching. It's going to begin there. But it never stops there. It continues to spread. But he says, I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle. The word literally means a public place or a place of public show or a theater to the world, both to angels and to men. He says, we are, we are fools for Christ's sake. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's letters to the Corinthians, these people who thought they had it all together, much like a lot of kind of the modern day churches today, the church of Laodicea type of mentality, you know, we're rich, we don't need anything, we've got it all down. And, and yet Paul used loving sarcasm but sarcasm nonetheless when he wrote his two letters we have two of them we believe that there were three and possibly four letters to the corinthians they were a mess but he uses this sarcasm he says we are fools for christ but you are wise in christ we are weak but you are strong 
You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, there's that word again, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. Do you know what entreat means? To call near, to invite. They, they rail against us, they, 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 they jeer at us, they, they slander us, they say false things about us. How do we respond? We invite them, come, come to me, let me tell you the gospel. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscourge of all things until now. End of quote. Paul. Paul, before he came to faith in Christ, Paul was no doubt the man, as he'd walk down the street, people would say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Father, Father Saul, oh please, Father Saul, come to our home. After he comes to faith in Christ, he's not even accepted by the Christians because they don't believe that he's truly a believer in Jesus. Paul, hey, if he just would have stayed you know, in, in Judaism, if he would have rejected, you know, the call of Christ, he could have been a man of authority and esteem. And yet he gave it up for Christ's sake to have hunger and nakedness and peril and death. And the world cannot understand a person like this. The world consider, considers a person with an attitude like this as being a fool. But who is the fool in the end? Jesus gave two reasons to be exceedingly glad when persecuted. The first reason, for great is your reward in heaven. Guys, listen. Modern day Christianity, when I'm saying this, I'm not speaking about what we do here, what a lot of churches are doing. I, I believe we're seeking to do the right thing. But there are churches, and they seem to be the churches that have the celebrity pastors, they have the voice, they have the, they're more seen, they're more, you know, listened to, viewed than, than others. The message from many of these pulpits is that Christians are supposed to look for the rewards here on earth. You want to see God's blessing? Well, you'll see it. You'll live in the biggest house in your neighborhood. You'll drive the most luxurious car. You you know, they reduce it to things, and they say, well, that's God's blessing. You know, it's so contrary, because here's the thing. You know, when you get something... You feel blessed. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Thank you, Lord. This is great. Thank you, Lord, for this new car. Thank you, Lord, for this house. I never thought we'd be able to get a house, and now we got a house. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, to somehow deceive ourselves thinking that this is God's blessing. These are God's intended blessings for us because this world is perishing. This world is passing away. The Bible says, everything in this world is passing away. So you say, when you stop and think, well, 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 thank you, but it's not going to last. See, that's why Christians who understand biblically what the scriptures teach, we have a light touch on this world. 
Thank you, Lord, for our home. Thank you, Lord, for our stuff. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, I don't know if it will be here tomorrow. And my hope is not, hopefully, my hope is not wrapped up in these things. We should be thankful. We should be thankful for the things we have. We should be thankful for the things we don't have. I wonder if one day, you know, from heaven's perspective, we'll be able to look back and say, oh, Lord, thank you. I prayed for that. I wanted that thing so bad, and it didn't come to pass. And maybe from heaven's perspective, you could see what would happen if you would have gotten that thing, and you go, oh, that thing would have ruined me. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so gracious. But we need to be thankful. I don't have what I have because I am extra blessed by the Lord. God sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. That's the God that we serve. His mercies are new every day. God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, guys, we got it all wrong. We don't, but some do. We're watching them fall like, you know, (laughs) we have a friend in Maine, Ken Graves. He is a pastor. He's got a big, deep voice, big, strong guy. But he was a lumberjack before uh, pastoring a church and while he was pastoring a church in the early days. And, and, you know, he got such a thrill out of, you know, <laughs> timber, you know, whatever. I don't know what they say. But I'll tell you, it's like we're watching it right now. Do you see it? They're falling, they're falling, they're falling because God says that judgment begins in the house of God. And those who some have deemed as the blessed ones. Hillsong. From Australia to New York to London, England. Controversy. Hillsong. Serious controversy. People are stepping down. There are church leaders that are stepping down. It seems like every week something new is happening. Go, this person's stepping down. They're going to ponder. They're going to repent. They're going to think. I mean, it's like the same thing. It's like, the, it's like what you would read from someone in the world that's done something wrong, and it would be read by their lawyer many times. And it's almost like the exact same statement. I'm going to ponder my inner self, you know, whatever it is. But judgment is beginning in the house of God because the Lord doesn't want people to think. You think that God's blessing is on this man because he has the, you know, $2,000 tennis shoes or he hangs out with celebrities or whatever it might be. You've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. That's what the Lord says. And the fact of the matter is, it hasn't worked. What? The method of modern-day Christianity. Modern-day Christianity. Don't mention certain words. Delete them from your vocabulary, pastor. Don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about anything negative like that. The people don't want to hear it. 
you be light. And they say, I will be light. And their idea of being light is being just like the world. Because if I'm just like the world, then the world is going to want to be just like me. And it's not working. People are not coming to faith in Christ because you're a cool guy or gal. People come to faith in Christ the same way people have always come to faith in Christ. A moving of the Spirit of God. I'm going to wrap this thing up, seriously. Mario, in fact, why don't you come up and you'll put some pressure on me. Just poke me with the back of your, your guitar here. I want you to remember this. Remember when the apostles were arrested in Acts chapter 5, verses 20, uh, 40 through 41. It says uh, they had called for the apostles and beaten them. And they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. Do you know that chronologically, it seems, at least chronologically, from the book of Acts, it seems that this was maybe the very first time that this happened. And they were probably, you know, and and let me tell you, this is why fellowship is so important. Because we are stronger together than we are alone. We are, we are, we are. You could believe otherwise, but it's wrong. If I'm with my brothers and sisters, I'm going to stand strong. I'm not going to buckle. I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to boo-hoo. Why are you doing this to me, God? I'm going to have the right perspective. I'm going to have the godly perspective, the Jesus perspective. And I think that these guys probably really were glad that they had suffered for the cause of Christ. Jesus said this, and we just did it. And it's great. Yeah, this is great, you know, and patting each other on the back, you know, and I think they were excited. I think after a while, it just kind of became old hat. And there was probably that inner joy. Lord, I know I don't feel it, but it's not a matter of what I feel. What matters is the reality. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're beaten with rods. Can you imagine that? Beaten with rods. It says they had laid many stripes on them. They threw them in prison. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And that's what it's all about. You say, what? The, the prisoners. This is another thing that's so hard for us as modern day Christians is that it's not about us. Christ has taught us through example and through his word that we're to be other-centered. Others are watching. Others are listening. Others want to see how, how we're enduring the suffering, the hardships. Not that we're going to do it perfectly. None of us do. But they're watching. I want you to think of your own life. I want you to think of Maybe hardships that you've gone through, difficult, difficult times that you've gone through. And, uh, you know, you've, you've asked for prayer. You've prayed with others. They know the, the difficulty that you're going through. Do you think that there might have been some people that are just watching to see when you're finally going to give up? 
Because, see, we have examples of that all the time. I used to follow God, but he let me down. What did he do? He took my... And then we accuse God of some horrible thing. He took my baby from me. Really? There are hard things in this life. There are extremely painful things in this life. And there are moments of weakness when we may say things like that. But if we're grounded in the word of God, our, our cursing will be turned to praising. And we will say things like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the time I had with him or her. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, that though my wife was barren, we had no children, you gave us a ministry that we never would have asked for, we never would have chosen if it was up to us, but you gave us a ministry to people who are barren, to people who are longing. You've given us a ministry to them. Lord, we went through it, you know, it was a difficult time when, when our kids went astray or this kid, you know, really went off the rails or whatever like that. And, and, and Lord, I, you know, and people are watching. And to be able to say, you know what, God is good. God is not done. God is doing miracles. God is restoring relationships. God is good. To say it, to mean it, to believe it, people are watching. People need hope. I believe that the Bible gives evidence of a pre-trib rapture, but we do not know when the rapture will take place. What we do know is that things are rapidly happening every day in the world. Every day. And so we need to be a people that need to consider what suffering persecution for righteousness sake or for Christ's sake excuse me may look like we need to pray not when it comes but to pray now Lord I don't know I don't know how I will stand I don't know how I will endure it when these things happen but I pray for strength when I was a young Christian 20 years old you know I called on my friends, called my mom and dad when I surrendered my Lord uh, life to the Lord and I was excited about it and, and uh, my parents really, they just had such a hard time and I think it was more pride than anything else because they raised this Roman Catholic we went to parochial school, we went you know, just all of that and so they felt like we raised you in a Christian home and now you're saying I'm a Christian? And they didn't understand it. And I was using biblical terms that they surely didn't understand because a lot of Roman Catholic homes don't even own Bibles. They don't know the scriptures. But I would use terms like being born again and things like that. And, you know, my mom, because she loves me, you know, moms love their kids, especially their sons. And, um, but my dad had a hard time. 
and my dad would just kind of get on me and he'd kind of try to embarrass me sometimes and and uh, you know it, it didn't matter if it was at a wedding I remember he was drinking some shots with the priest at my sister's wedding and and wanted to engage me in conversation he and introduced me to the priest as this is my born-again son why don't you talk some sense into him and I looked at this guy downing shots and I thought no sense is coming from this this fellow (laughs) but I'll tell you in those early days I I felt like when my dad would say something or embarrass me I would go up and I would cry and I would say Lord why does he hate me so much and then I'd get mad at the Lord and say, Lord, why are you allowing him to treat me like this? It's my dad. And I had no idea that, that dad was being used in my life to give me a thicker skin that I would need for life and ministry. Because I've never gone through kind of the hardships with other people, and I've gone through some crazy things. You know, I've been accused of being demon-possessed and a lot of things. But, but my, the stuff that came from my dad, and probably because of the relationship, you know, it was harder from him. But it was preparation. So sometimes, when you're going through difficulties, you might feel like God has abandoned you. But you know what, guys? Maybe he is equipping you for something ahead. So don't despise it. Embrace it. Let's stand. Go ahead, Mario. You close the prayer.